Well, good morning, Gospel City Church. So glad that you made it to the house of the Lord today. Let me just say I'm excited about new people joining our church and becoming members and thankful for you, uh, seeing that this thing isn't just something that you come and entertain yourself with, but it's a place where you throw in and where you're a part of the body of Christ. And so couldn't be more excited about that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bibles that I know you brought with you to Ephesians chapter six today. And we're continuing in a series that we began last week called Armor Up. And as we kind of read this passage, Paul's final uh, kind of section in this foundational book of Ephesians, we saw these important items to consider as the people of God who are arming up for battle. We saw our leader and our position. That's what we looked at last week. And then we see our enemy. We see our weapons. We see our mission. And then we land, and Paul lands, at the grace and peace that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So last week, we discussed that Jesus Christ is our all-powerful, sin-conquering champion who is seated in the heavenly places. And if you are a believer, the book of Ephesians has said that you are now in Christ. And uh, the big idea last week was that believers' position in Christ makes them invincible in their warfare against the enemy. You have been positioned for advantage against the enemy if you are a believer and God is fighting your battle for you. And so it is vitally important that we as believers remember our wealth, that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and that we stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Did that help anybody this past week as you kind of came last week with the battles that you're facing and you went into this week? Hopefully you are praying the armor of God every day with that prayer guide and you're, you're uh, fighting your battles by looking to the Lord and being strong in the Lord. Now, today I want us to draw our attention to Paul's description of our enemy within the warfare that every believer has been enlisted in. I've told you that every human being has been enlisted in a cosmic war. We desperately need to be made alive in Christ, and we desperately need to walk in a manner worthy of that calling if we're going to do what the book of Ephesians told us in Ephesians chapter 4, if we're going to redeem the time because the days are evil, and the days are absolutely evil, so we need to be on the right side of the battle. Now, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer as I start this sermon, okay? I got a lot of information, and it's a heavy topic, but we're going to land in a place of victory and celebration and worship as the people of God, okay? So here's the big idea I want to drill down on, and I want you to lean in today and just take it in. Uh, Satan is very real and very powerful, but very defeated by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony in Christ Jesus, Satan is very real, he's very powerful, but very defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So I really wanna focus today on what the Bible says about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. And you might be saying, why do we wanna focus on that on Sunday morning? Well, the Bible, Ephesians, tells us, gives us a very clear depiction of what our enemy is, but you as a believer need to know who your enemy is because he knows what you're working with. Your enemy knows very much what your wealth in Christ is, and he wants you thinking about anything but that. So this is what Paul writes about every 
uh, spiritual enemy that we face, the powerful enemy that we're going to, look at Ephesians chapter 6, and let's look at verses 10 all the way through 13 this morning, okay? Hear the word of the Lord. Get your eyes on a copy of God's word. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, I don't know if you think a lot about the spiritual realm. Uh, Perhaps you don't think about Satan and demons much at all. I think a lot of us could probably raise our hand and say that. Or maybe you think about the spiritual realm all the time. And if you were honest, you would say, you know what? I, I think about uh, spirits and demons and spiritual warfare a little too much. And it cripples me with fear. It cripples me with anxiety. I'm looking for a demon under every rock. Here's what C.S. Lewis famously said from his book, Screwtape Letters. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So the demons, the devil, perfectly happy if you underthink about them, perfectly happy if you overthink about them. And, and as Paul's writing this letter, remember, he's writing to this great city of Ephesus, and in Ephesus, they were steeped in the occult. So they paid a lot of attention to sorcery and toward demons and spiritual warfare and and dark activity. And many of these believers that he's writing to had been saved through the radical power of Jesus over the demonic forces that were present in their dark city. You remember in Acts chapter 9... Uh, you know, the name of Jesus is on display. People are being healed. They're taking Paul's uh, handkerchief and his apron that he probably wore for work. And they're just laying it over people who were possessed. And the name of Jesus was conquering. And then there were these dudes, the sons of Sceva, who were exorcists. And they wanted to get in on that power. And so they went and they tried to cast demons out of the sons of Sceva. And the demons are like, We don't know who you are, but we do know who Jesus is. And we know that Paul is a messenger of Jesus and they go running for the hills. But then a revival broke out in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verse 18 and 20. It says this, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So Ephesus as a city would have fallen into the category of having an excessive or unhealthy interest in Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. But in seeing the power of Christ over all, they put their hope in. They repented and believed on the Lord Jesus and did away with their idolatry. But no doubt, living in this dark city, they would have continued to be aware 
of the darkness and the evil that was all around them. And Paul tells them who is behind that power and how they can resist him in Ephesians chapter 6. So real quickly, what do you think about America when it comes to Satan, demons, spiritual warfare? Uh, what do you think about America? Do you think, I, I think C.S. Lewis's quote nails it on the head. Many are not concerned about the spiritual enemy in America. Many are oblivious to the power of Satan and demons. Many are caught up in his grip so much that the world and their flesh simply control them. And many who grew up in the church could underthink the devil and live as if he is non-existent. But I also think the opposite is true. I think that America is absolutely obsessed with horror and with the spiritual realm as well. And I was reading some, some different statistics and uh, here's just some for you. Halloween is a $10.6 billion holiday in America. Now I'm not saying Halloween's all bad and you can't dress up or get candy and have fun, but $10.6 billion is a lot of money spent on a holiday that does seem to celebrate a lot of dark and evil things and a lot of people are wrapped up in it. 48% of Americans love scary movies. 71% of 18 to 34 year olds regularly watch horror movies and horror movies gross $1 billion annually in the US and get the supernatural horror, which is based on religion and spiritual elements are the most popular. I went to a movie yesterday. I don't go to a lot of movies. When I see a commercial for a horror film, all I can think is, nope, not going to see that. That's terrifying. Where are the people that come up with this stuff and entertain themselves with it? But I thought this was interesting. Uh, Barna study uh, says that 57% say that they believe Satan is real. So I think that's a pretty high number. 51% believe in demonic possession. But do we know what the Bible teaches us about our very real enemy, Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare? I think it's important for us as the people of God who are doing battle and being strong in the Lord to know our enemy because our enemy knows us, okay? So let's dive in together. I wanna talk about who Satan is and his army. I wanna talk about what Satan wants and then I want to talk about how you can stand firm against Satan and his army. Okay, so point number one, let's look at who he is. Satan is a God hater leading a rebellion of demons to spread death in the world. He's a God hater leading a rebellion of demons to spread death in the world. And I told you last week as we got started that the moment you were transferred to the kingdom of, from the kingdom of darkness to your position in Christ, the enemy put crosshairs on your back and you are enlisted in a war. And we see mention of this very real enemy in verse 11. Paul writes this, chapter six, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul mentions to the Ephesians, the leader of the war on God and his people by calling this leader the devil. Now our culture's made a lot of fun of the devil. We've come up with characters about the devil. I read one author who amusingly wrote, the devil is not a myth. The devil is not a figment of an overactive imagination or a superstitious hangover. He's definitely not a red cartoon character on your shoulder, and he's not Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Light sh sh shredding B-level metal guitars solos on his electric guitar. 
this is common for all cultures to call uh, the, the, the superstitious spiritual realm leaders the devil. But for Jesus and for Paul, the devil spoke of the chief evil being behind the cosmic rebellion on God. So Jesus, he used the title in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to these prideful Pharisees, okay? And Jesus gets into a discussion with them, and they claim to be about their father Abraham's business. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And do you know what the the puffed up Pharisees did in that moment? They responded to Jesus by throwing his so-called illegitimate childhood in his face. They said, we are born of our father Abraham. We were not born of sexual immorality like you. So they didn't understand that Jesus, uh, he was born of God through the Virgin Mary, which is a very important part of the doctrine of the gospel that we believe. They were missing it, and they were throwing in Jesus's face that, oh, your father was sexually immoral. But Jesus, he didn't back down from the puffed up Pharisees. Jesus responded in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and, you will, and, and, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So we learn a couple things by what Paul says and by what Jesus said to the Pharisees. His name means slanderer and accuser. That's what Satan does. He he wants to slander you and he wants to accuse you before the throne of God. Paul tells us that he is scheming or he's planning, he's devising against the believers and the saints. He has a method to his madness. And then Jesus tells us there is zero truth in the devil. So the devil is a liar. Everything the devil produces is counterfeit. And if you're not standing in the truth of Jesus, you're living in the devil's lies. Jesus also tells us that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. The devil is prideful. The devil is tricky But the devil's main goal is to spread death, to execute death, and to make death look like it still has its sting. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes this, be alert, believers, be sober-minded, Christian. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, our enemy of the devil, he's got a lot of names, not just the devil. He's called Satan in the Bible. He's called the evil one in the Bible. He's called the tempter. He's called the destroyer. He's called the deceiver. In the book of Revelation, he's called the great dragon who deceives the whole world. And obviously from Genesis, we know him as the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray. Now, before God or before Satan led the the world into sin and deceived Eve in the garden, we see that he was leading a rebellion on God, not just of himself, but of some fallen angels who we refer to as his demons, okay? So there's a lot of speculation about who Satan was before he fell. You could go to Ezekiel chapter 28. You go to Isaiah chapter 14. You've probably heard um, stories of like Satan was the worship leader of heaven. I don't know what you think of when you hear that, but like he's 
up there with a guitar, singing around the throne of God. Probably a little different. People have said he was the choir director of heaven. It's really hard to kind of pull all of that out of the, the, the little bit that scripture gives us. But there are some things that are true about Satan. Okay, Satan was created by God. Therefore, God is far more powerful than Satan. So Satan is not a rival to God. Satan is trembling. He's a defeated being who is owned by God. He is not God's equal and opposite. And the, and the movies that we often watch, you have a good guy and you have an equal and opposite bad guy. And as they fight and fight and fight, a human usually decides between good and evil and then the good guy wins, how that all happens. That's not what's happening in God's storybook of the Bible. That's not what's happening from the beginning of time into eternity. Satan is no match for God and he pales in comparison to God. God is omniscient, Satan is not. God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere at all times, and yet Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at one time. God is omnipotent, Satan is not. God is alpha and omega, and Satan has a very clear beginning because he was created, and he has a very clear end because it's written in eternity. Now, Satan was created like all things to worship God, and somehow he decided that he wanted to be worshiped. Satan was, you know, a, a cherub around the throne of God, probably exalting Christ in his holiness. Uh, you you kind of, it boggles your mind a little bit of how did this beautiful, powerful, created angel in the throne room start to be tempted to, to not look at the beauty of Christ and to look at his own beauty? That kind of boggles my mind. And, and, and Satan did indeed think of his own beauty, and before long, he wanted to be worshiped rather than worship the creator. The only thing that I can figure out that it tells me is that there is none like our God. Even the angels pale in comparison to the holiness of God. Even the angels fall so far short of the glory of God. And you see in scripture, the angels are, are magnificent beings of fire and six wings and they're showing up to fight battles and do all of these things. But uh, uh, redeemed angels, angels who have not fallen, they deflect glory. And in Revelation, you see John bowing down before an angel because he's so magnificent. And what's the angel say? Yo, don't bow at me. Look at him. Look at Christ the lamb who is on his throne. So angels were created to deflect glory, but fallen angels who are demons would gladly steal your attention and take all of the glory that you would be willing to give them. But somewhere between in the beginning God created and Genesis chapter three, we see Satan not as a worshiping angel, but as a slithering serpent in God's perfect garden seeking to deceive and to destroy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, 41, he's talking about the final judgment when we will stand before Christ our King. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus, that's a sad day that all of those who have not called upon the name of the Lord will be turned away from the presence of God, but they will be sent to a place that Jesus has prepared for the devil and for his angels who are demons. Revelation 12 verse 4 says that Satan's tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. A third of the angels 
went with Satan. A third of the angels fell in a raging war against our God. Now, I don't know what you know about angels, but the book of Revelation says that there's myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands around the throne of God, worshiping God on our side, in our defense. There are a lot of demons, a third of the angels, but there are a lot more angels on our side worshiping Jesus Christ in heaven. Isn't that awesome? And so we don't have to fear because God is on our side. But the main point is this, that Satan and demons are very real and they aim to wage spiritual war on every believer who is in Christ. C.S. Lewis, he says in a continual sentence, he says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. So he's a very real enemy. That's what he is. That's who he is. That's who his army is. Let's talk about what he wants, okay? Point number two is this. Satan wants to destroy your life and steal your attention from the hope of Jesus Christ. Satan wants to destroy your life and steal your attention from the hope of Jesus Christ. You see a lot of what Satan aims to do in the names that we already said. He's a deceiver, he's a destroyer, he's a tempter. But John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. He aims to steal your joy, to steal your time, to steal your devotion and to steal your attention toward Christ. He aims to kill the body, kill thoughts of God, kill you physically, and he aims to kill love and life. And then he aims to destroy the bride of Christ or the unity that we have as the people of God. And remember, Paul's writing this to the Ephesians and he's saying there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and you are joined together and you are to be working everyone in their own gift, operating out of love together. And you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to tear that unity apart in the body of Christ. He wants to speak lies. He wants to slander. He is scheming against the one body that God is building up and creating. And he wants there to be division. He wants there to be infighting. He wants there to be gossiping. He wants there to be slandering. He wants there to be tearing down of one another because Satan is wicked. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us a little bit about the evil regime that we're up against. Look at it in your Bible. Paul writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So let's take the first sentence. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Yes, your flesh is an enemy that opposes the spirit of God within you. There's really three enemies that you're up against as a human being. You're up against your own flesh. You're up against the world, read 1 John. And you're up against Satan and his army. Yes, your humanness is very capable of sinning and disobedience and worldly living. The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. But Paul wants us to see that there is an entire realm of evil waging actual war on your flesh and blood. Yes, you are good enough to sin on your own, but Satan will tempt you to despair. He'll tempt you to be distracted. He'll tempt you to be deceived and defiled and destroyed and lots of other D words, even damned. 
because Satan wants you doing anything but claiming your wealth in Christ, walking in a manner worthy of Christ, and standing firm against his schemes. There's a, a, a book that was three volumes written in the 1600s by William Gurnall, great book called The Christian in Complete Armor. I've been reading excerpts of it. Listen to this. This is about Satan. Though he toils for the eternal damnation of every soul, the devil's open vengeance is most often directed toward the saints. If he could, he would not leave one of Christ's flock alive. Such is the height of malice against God, whom he hates with a perfect hatred. And because he cannot reach him with a direct blow, he strikes at him secondhand through the saints. So you've, you've felt some opposition. You, you've felt some attack. Remember, don't be overly obsessed with the demonic realm. But Paul is telling us that it is an absolutely real threat that we are wise to pay attention to. Now, I don't know what your experience with spiritual warfare is, uh, but I have found myself, I'll just let you in on my life a little bit. I found myself over the last year and a half asking questions like, was that happenstance? Was that circumstance? Was that like just a hard thing because I live in a broken world and I know that the brokenness of this world affects me? Was that happenstance or was that spiritual attack? Was that uh, the demonic uh, trying to harass me, trying to tempt me to despair. Uh, I'll just tell you, there's been days where I've been absolutely depressed. And I'm like, where did that come from? Everything in my life is going right. And I just feel depressed. The only thing I can do is like lay down and just wait till the new mercies of God come the next morning. There's been times where I'm up in the middle of the night just wrestling with thoughts um, you know, I'll just tell you like on a night before a, a big day of sermon prep or a, or a night before I'm going to speak the gospel in like a really clear way. I just get like kind of agony or like wake up with all these thoughts. I can't. And the devil has, it like puts, puts, uh, false lies in your mind. It gets you to believe, uh, evil thoughts, wicked thoughts. And you're like, where did that come from? That's what Satan aims to do. Even as you've come here to church this morning, you're giving your attention to God and you're looking at his word. And you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to put something in your mind right now, distract you with Amazon, distract you with uh, what you're gonna buy for lunch after this or your grocery list. Or he wants, you know what he really wants to do? He wants to get in your mind and he wants you to think, did God actually say that? Does God actually care about that? Is God actually the only one worthy of worship? I've had circumstances in my life happen out of nowhere that are just kind of crazy, and yet they seem like to come at the worst times, and you're just saying, was that the enemy trying to thwart what I'm trying to do for the Lord? And it can discourage you. <laughs> Maybe you've had crazy anxiety out of nowhere that you can't explain Maybe you felt extreme opposition right after everything in your faith walk was going well. And you've heard of the battle after the battle. You have a victory in the Lord. Satan wants to come and tear you down. I was reading about Martin Luther in the, in the midst of the Reformation. Martin Luther had this moment where he felt a demonic presence that was so real and forceful, he writes, that it was as if this demon was standing in front of him, he thought. And so he grabbed his ink jar and he throws it at the demon, telling it to get away. 
fearful night, feeling the opposition in the middle of something that he can't really explain. And from that experience, he writes the hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. And he says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. What I believe Paul is teaching us and reminding us is that we're not just facing flesh and blood and happenstance in this life. There is a whole hierarchy of evil that is happening in the world and Satan has organized it. Satan is directing it and it is all pointed your direction if you are walking in a manner worthy of your calling. So look at verse 12, look at the different pieces of Satan's regime that that Paul makes mention of. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Now I wanna just explain something from Daniel chapter 10. I didn't do a great job of of explaining this in the first service. A brother challenged me and I was thankful for that. And I wanna give it to you a little more clearly. Okay, so Daniel chapter 10, um, Daniel's having a vision. He's having a dream, okay? And there's this messenger angel that is sent to Daniel to strengthen him who has no more strength and sent to this character who is the king of of Persia, okay? Or the prince of Persia. And so it's not a a flesh and blood prince of Persia, but it's this, um, this, you know, spiritual realm vision of a thing, okay? And we learn in Daniel 10, 13, that the Michael the archangel, who's like a super angel, we see that Michael the archangel is the one who kicks Satan out of heaven in Revelation chapter 12. So he's a good dude, he's on our side, he's fighting for us. And in, in Daniel 10, 13, Michael the archangel goes to do battle with the prince of Persia so that the messenger angel could accomplish his mission. So there's a lot of wild stuff, but it seems consistent to believe that Satan has rulership, ownership, uh, ability to, to, to influence and lead in every single nation, every single city, every single place in the world. We're not wrestling against mere flesh and blood. When we look at all that's happening in our culture and in our world, there is a spiritual realm of rulership and authority that is influencing the nations and the people who are leading even our world. No doubt Satan has leaders and he's orchestrating rulers in the political systems of the world. You look at our world, you look at the spiraling, you look at us calling what is good evil and what is evil good and you think how did we get to that place? In the spiritual realm there are rulers who are working through lost people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and we see the spiraling out of control. Uh, absolutely, Satan is orchestrating roles within the educational systems of the world. You know, I, I know that school has gotten more and more challenging. And a lot of parents are praying about schooling decisions all the time. And even in our community, I've talked to some of you who are in hard positions and the school boards are passing things and you're like, wait, we're gonna do away with that really good thing and we're gonna add this thing to our education system and, and, and our kids are gonna be subject to these things and, and teachers are being asked to not speak out about this and to celebrate this. And some of you are on the front lines of that battle. Remember, you are not wrestling against mere flesh and blood. You are wrestling against rulers and principalities that are in the spiritual realm. Satan absolutely is orchestrating the entertainment structure of the world. He's working through high up people to get wicked agendas into your home. And our kids at eight, seven, nine, 
have devices. They're seeing things that you never would have dreamed of seeing. They have access to things that you never would have dreamed of having access to at such a young age. Satan is thrilled about it and he's orchestrating things in the spiritual realm. We don't wrestle just against rulers, but also against the authorities. Satan sets up rulers, passes wicked and evil agendas, and he empowers authorities to enforce them through spiritual forces. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult in our culture to stand up for righteousness because more and more authorities are enforcing dark and evil deeds. So you, the believer, standing up for righteousness... You, the believer, not giving in to what the world says you should celebrate or accept. That is you being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his night, standing up for righteousness sake. We don't just wrestle against rulers and against authorities, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. There is a cosmic war. There is an unseen war. There is demonic and satanic influence being manifested in our culture and in our day and age. And it all comes from a spiritual realm of powerful, evil, strategic, fallen beings aiming to steal, to kill, and destroy. And then the last sentence in this spiritual force of evil regime that Satan has orchestrated says we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remember, Satan's not omnipresent, so he can only be one place at one time. He's probably not in your house, okay? And I think a lot of times we wrestle with Satan on me and probably not. In Job, we see Satan going to and fro on the earth. And, and he's looking for someone to devour. Yes, he has demons who attack and do his dirty work for him. But he's going to and fro on the earth. And he even gets access in Job to the throne room of God, which is just fascinating but Satan is subject to God. Satan goes before God and he says, I wanna, I, I, all your people are following you. And, and God says, my servant Job, there's none like him. He, he loves me. He's a worshiper of me. And Satan says, uh, you only say that because Job only does that because you give him nice things. Take your hand off him. Let me attack him. And God says, he will. And, and Satan does attack Job. And a lot of bad things happen to Job. But God knew that Job would come out persevering in the end but Satan was ultimately subject to God. All of this evil that is described in Ephesians 6.12 and all that Satan schemes to do to you can be summed up in one word and that is lies. Satan doesn't want you living the way that you learned Christ. Like Paul told us in Ephesians chapter four, he wants you doing what the Gentiles did. This is what scripture said in 4.17 of Ephesians. They walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to the sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's not how you learned Christ if you're a believer. God, when you were put in Christ, he began the process of sanctification. Do you remember what it was? It was new affections in your mind leading to new desires in your heart that produces holy living in this world. 
You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to counterfeit that process. He doesn't want you having new affections in your mind. He wants you believing the lies and the slander and the scheming that he is spreading. He wants you thinking you're worthless. He wants you thinking you're powerless. And guess what? If he can get your mind, it will travel to your heart and your heart will be darkened. Your heart will be hardened. And before long, you will start to live your life wondering, do I even need God or can I just do things my own way? Do I even need the Bible or can I just live my life how I want to live my life? That's the process that Satan wants to take you through. He is a father of lies and if he can control your mind, he can keep you from living out your wealth in Christ. Romans 8, 6, Paul said this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You set your mind on the flesh. You set your mind on the lies. You wake up every day and think what the devil says about you is true. It will lead to death. But if you can set your mind on the spirit of God who fills you, who indwells you, who anoints you, who leads you, it will be life and peace in your life. So Satan is a God hater. He's leading a rebellion of demons against you. Satan is a destroyer. He wants to steal your attention. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And let's take it home with point number three this morning. It's this, Satan is defeated and has no power over those who are in Christ. Satan is defeated and he has no power over those who are in Christ. Look at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter six. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So yes, we live in an evil day, but you have the armor of God. You have God's mighty armor. And having done all to stand firm and and just stop there, that takes us back to verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How are we to fight Satan and his army? How are we to engage in the spiritual warfare of the believer? Everything that Ephesians is teaching us is let Christ's victory be your victory. Let Christ's triumph be your triumph today. You have a God who will fight for you just like he did his people and the Israelites. They had only to be silent. We don't have to wake up and attack Satan. We don't have to look for Satan. We don't have to run at Satan or run from Satan We don't have to bind Satan in Jesus's power because Jesus already did that. We simply have to stand firm in God's mighty armor. Now, verse 16, look at it in Ephesians 6. We'll get to it in a couple weeks, but it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So absolutely, the evil one is hurling fiery darts at you every day. He's hurling accusations at you and in your mind every single day, but with God's strength and armor, we can extinguish every single one of them. And the best part about all of it is that Satan and his demons already know they've been defeated. Satan and his demons are 100% subject to the sovereignty of God and their demise is already written in eternity. Another thing that I love about Job chapter one is that Satan goes to the throne room and then he asks God if he can go after Job. You see it another time, uh, 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 Satan's only attacked a few people in scripture, but Jesus said, Peter, Satan comes to sift you like wheat. So Satan is always asking permission of Jesus. 
He's just like a dog on a chain that has no power unless the glory of God can lead him to do what the Lord might do. And God uses all of the wicked, all of the evil for good, for your good, for building you up in the faith. So get this, if demons are subject to Jesus, can a believer be possessed by a demon? I think that's a big question that a lot of people ask in the church. Can a believer be possessed by a demon? And I believe the answer is no. Nowhere in scripture do we ever see a believer possessed by demons. I've been saying it like this all week. If you are truly in Christ, then the devil is not in you. If you are truly in Christ, demons are not in you. You might feel the opposition. You might sense that there's something spiritual warfare happening around you, but demons are not in you if you have been claimed for the glory of Jesus Christ. So live into that wealth. Do not fear. 1 John 4, 3 through 4 says this, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Because the demons, they don't want to even claim that Jesus is God. Tells us that in the gospel. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So Satan has no power over the believer who is in Christ and the demons know Jesus is the Christ and they tremble at the mention of his name. Sure, you're gonna be tempted by the enemy, but 1 Corinthians 10 says our God is faithful and he always provides a way of escape. Sure, he might attack you, but James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. All you have to do is resist. You don't have to dabble. You don't have to entertain yourself with the darkness of this world. Resist the devil and he will flee. And Satan might try to torment you or harass you or throw off your spiritual walk through his demons. But remember, he did that to Jesus in Matthew chapter four. And with each temptation, Jesus himself warded off the enemy by quoting Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. If Jesus had to use the word of God to fight off temptation, how could you get by a day without it? We hide the word of God in our hearts and this sword of the spirit is for fighting the enemy that comes against us. So why are Satan and his demons already defeated? Because of Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I told you in point one that Satan wants you to think that death still has its sting. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to understand and be reminded this morning that when Jesus Christ died on a cross, Satan thought he had won. But when Jesus rose up from the dead on day three, Satan knew he was defeated then and for all of eternity and his demise was written in history and he is no match for the king of glory. And Martin Luther's great hymn continues, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure and one little word shall fell him. And that word is Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
Not only was the reign of death finished, not only was the payment for your sin blotted out, not only was the believer's soul purchased for eternal glory, but the dark, wicked, and counterfeit rulers of the cosmic war got their future written in eternity, and they continue to await destruction and condemnation in the lake of fire as the God that they hate will rule and reign in perfection with his bride forever. Can we just give a praise break for a minute in the house of God this morning? Because our God is on his throne and he's alive. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you believe about yourself. I don't know what lies the enemy's attacking you with. I don't know if you felt anxiety or depression or sickness that you can't explain, but I do know that if God is for us, then who can be against us? And Romans chapter eight says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the God that we serve. This is the position that we have. And this is the place in which we fight our battles in Christ. Now back to where we started, Satan is very real. Satan is very powerful, but Satan is very defeated by the blood of the lamb and our testimony in Christ Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, there's a moment that's written in eternity. I wanna read it to you as we close says, now war arose in heaven, Michael, so Michael the archangel, and his angels fighting against the dragon, that's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. No room in heaven for Satan and his fallen angels. They will be kicked out to the earth, trampled by Jesus Christ, our victor. But this is what it says. They have conquered him, they, the, the believers, those who are in Christ have conquered Satan and his demons. Why? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Are you gonna face rulers and principalities and kingdoms of darkness? Absolutely you will. The enemy has crosshairs on your back, but you can overcome. You can conquer by two things, by the blood of the lamb, by the proclamation that Jesus died in your place for your sin, rose from the dead, defeating death in the grave. And now you don't have to bring anything to the table because Jesus gave it all for you. You can rely on what's already been done in his perfection, in his sacrifice. That is what we proclaim. And then we proclaim our testimony with boldness. So 
Christian, believer, you're gonna have to get bold to open up your mouth, proclaim who you were without Christ, proclaim when Christ intersected your life, proclaim who you are now that you are in Christ and allow the testimony of Jesus to ward off the enemy as you stand strong in the Lord. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray together. Let's respond together in the house of God. Lord, we come and we thank you as the people of God. We are in desperate need of Jesus. And Lord, we realize that we stand no match for the enemy that is at hand. We don't wrestle with just mere flesh and blood and our flesh and blood constantly lets us know that we fall short of the glory of God, but there's a very real enemy and a very powerful enemy who comes to kill and destroy, who comes to slander and accuse, who tries to get us down on ourselves and making us feel worthless and like failures. But Lord, we look to Christ. We, we look to Christ who is the author of our salvation, who is the savior, of our souls, who is the victor of our warfare, who is the champion over our lives. And we lift our eyes to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who is on his throne, who is ruling and reigning, who is far more powerful than the forces of evil in this world. And that is where we draw our strength. That is where we keep our eyes. That is where we set our focus, no matter what the enemy throws our way. And so, Lord, I pray for some of my friends who I just know are on the front lines. I pray for those teachers, Lord, who are standing up in the midst of a wicked generation. Lord, I pray for the students who are trying to live for righteousness. Satan doesn't want us doing the things that God calls us to do. Lord, would you help us to stand firm against his schemes? Would we not be tricked? Would we not be drawn away? But Lord, would our eyes stay focused and fixed on Jesus Christ, our victor and our champion? Lord, you deserve the glory. You deserve the power. Yours is the kingdom. You have no rival. You have no equal. There is none like you. And so we exalt you and we worship you with the mighty angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and might and wisdom and blessing. Come on, let's sing.